Welcome to the Gospel Addict Podcast. I'm Greg Bryan. And I'm Jim Resky. We're gospel addicts because we believe the gospel of Jesus isn't just good news, it's the best news ever. We're addicted to the gospel because it doesn't just start us out in the Christian life, it is the Christian life. Join us as we look at the Bible through the lens of the gospel. Thanks so much for listening. Welcome back to the Gospel Addict Podcast. I'm your host, Greg Bryan. I am joined with two men. One is a good friend, Randy Nickel, and Randy introduced me to a very first-time author, Kelton Anderson, and I'm really looking forward to getting to know Kelton, and he just um, wrote his first book, and it's called The Clickbait Gospel, and so we're going to find out all about it. I've been reading it, listening to it, and uh, it's really challenging. We're going to dive into that, but first I thought I'd toss it to you, Randy, because you're you're good friends with Kelton, so maybe you should uh, talk about how you, you know each other. Well, I appreciate it, Greg. And Kelton, it's great to be with you today. Kelton, I got a chance to get to know Kelton. It was kind of wild. Kelton and I go to the same church together, but actually um, it was when I was living out of town I really started to get to know Kelton. I think that Kelton was so kind, and he... Uh, actually came, I was living uh, out in Medina County, and my house was up for sale, and I was doing a ton of painting and different stuff to get the house ready. And yeah, well, I wasn't just me, Kelton, because you came many times to my home and helped me, and I was very, very grateful for that. Um, You helped make that possible. And so, uh, yeah, I just really want to say I appreciate your hard work and the help for me, Kelton, and Kelton um, has been a teacher in Cleveland Public Schools and still a teacher in the state of Ohio. But um, when Kelton sent me the book, I was very excited to read it. And I have one chapter to go, so I'm almost done. But Kelton, thank you. And I'm excited to hear how you came to the decision to write the book. And and But I appreciate the book, and it's, it's really been outstanding. Thank you. Thanks, Randy. Yeah, that's really kind of you. And uh, Greg, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. So good. Tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, because this is your first book. So I'm guessing you're not like a Christian author. So just a little <laughs> bit more about your background, your family and that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, um, you know, I was actually headed towards engineering out of high school. I went to um Lorraine County Community College for all my high school years and had a lot of calculus and a lot of math classes behind me. And I really thought that I was going to go into engineering. And then in my high school year, uh, the Lord just kind of laid it on my heart to go into ministry. So I was like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. And so I actually started pursuing ministry. I got a degree with Liberty University in religious studies. And I was in the process of going down to Liberty physically in person um, for a master's in ministry. And in that time, the Lord kind of moved some things around. My wife and I started getting serious. She was from, you know, um, the Ohio area where I'm Cleveland. And so, um, and then also Liberty somehow I had one more class to take for my bachelor's and I did not know this. They had not communicated it. So I had walked, I had done everything. They had said I'd graduated and then they turn around and say, you have one more class. And so everything just kind of changed. And so what I realized was I wasn't going to be able to go into ministry at that time. So I switched gears. 
Uh, I pursued a, a separate degree in teaching and in mathematics. And so I've been a high school math teacher since 2014. Um, this is my ninth year. Uh, my wife and I also got married in 2014. And we're blessed with two little girls. They're, uh, they're going to be having their birthdays here. So six and seven years old. Uh, one's adopted. And uh, we're just really blessed. Uh, we Both me and my wife are teachers. Um, but we've served in various ministries uh, throughout the years. And uh, I've just kind of felt um, a sort of a, a call in, in a way, a, a leading, I would say, more so um, towards different types of ministries in the future and things that I would like to pursue. And so Clickbait Gospel is just one of my books that I'm planning to write. I've got some other ones in the works. Um, but Clickbait Gospel is, you know, the first book of hopefully a few um, that really kind of solidifies my beliefs and hopefully is impactful and encouraging to other people um, as they consider what does it mean to be a follower of Christ that is truly loving God and loving others and, and is so different from the world. That's what we're called to be is different um, in a good way for Christ um, that we're impacting our neighborhoods, our local communities um, for God. And, and so our love should be so much different from the world. So let's back up and talk about, I, I love the title, Clickbait Gospel. And by the way, there's a website, www.clickbaitgospel.com, where you can purchase the book or find it on Kindle. You can search it on Amazon. Um, did you come up with the title first or did the did, did the content of the book come first? And, and to just tell us the yeah. story of how the whole book came about. Because from what I understand, you wrote it in a very short period of time. I, I did. I wrote it very quickly, um, which is kind of dangerous to say because somebody will be like, well, he didn't take a lot of time to write it. It must not be that great. Right. But I, I think contrary to that you know, perspective, uh, I think God really laid it on my heart. And when I read it, I'm I'm impacted by what I wrote. Um, and I, I know that God worked through me to write it. So the the ideas and the concepts in clickbait have been around for years in my head. I've been thinking about it. I've had conversations with people where I just didn't feel like their approach to grace and then the results of grace were quite um, lined up with what I was seeing in the Bible. And it also was an ongoing conversation in my own heart about what does it mean to be a believer and then um, live that out in, in such a different way. And so, um, part of what you'll read in the book is actually a little bit about my own life. Um, I considered myself a Christian until I was about 18, 19 years old. And then God just hit me like a train. I remember being at my parents' house. I remember being on the front porch. I just read a section of Hebrews and it just hit me like a freight train. And I really questioned whether or not I was saved. And, um, through a couple pastors, um, I was, um, I was, reconciled and I was brought back to where I should be. And I truly believe it was in that time that I truly became a Christian. And I think up until that time, I was living kind of a double life where I had, you know, as a kid, I'd said I had believed in God, but I really wasn't living a, a biblically healthy, obedient life to God until then. And even since then, I've struggled with things. So don't get me wrong, I'm not a perfect person. Um, but I, the, the, the title clickbait, I actually don't remember what, what brought that title to mind. Um, but 
I know that I had a conversation with my dad about things that were kind of clickbaity and that he was really annoyed with like, you know, going on websites and going on the news feeds and like he would click on something because it looked interesting and then it was nothing at all related to the title. And so I, I know that that is an aspect of the book that, you know, people are buying into washed down versions of the gospel, thinking that they're actually the true gospel. And then as a result, we're getting we're getting really sad and um, confused by the lack of change in our lives. We expect this new gospel that's actually a clickbait version of the gospel to be impactful and change us and make us joyful and peace-filled and all these things. And in fact, it's just leaving us kind of the same as we were before, if not worse. And so um, that's kind of where the, the book is headed is, you know, reevaluating what kind of what kind of view do you have on the gospel? Because I believe, you know, everything in the Christian life really comes back down to your belief in God, your view of God, and then your view of the gospel. Right in chapter one, you have this quote from Augustine, and it's a it's a yeah. great quote. He says, if you believe what you like in the gospel and you reject what you don't like, it's not the gospel you believe, but yourself. You know, you you talk about this this book kind of hinges on two passages of scripture. Can let's let's yes. discuss that. What are those passages, and why are they why were they so foundational to the book? Yeah. So the first passage is Luke six, and that's really where Christ is. In in a lot of ways, he's launching his ministry. He's got his disciples, which he then condenses down to the twelve which I, I point out in the book, it's just remarkable that Judas is one of the 12. I, I, it's just mind-blowing that he would be so gracious and so in God's, you know, aligned with God's will that he would choose this man who would betray him and cause so much pain to him and yet fulfill some of the, the, the parts of the gospel, right? So Luke 6, Jesus is launching his ministry he builds into the Beatitudes, which we're all very familiar with, which is almost kind of troubling because we're familiar with it, and yet we miss so much of what's in it. And then he he builds to what I think is a climax in verse, I believe it's 46, where he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? And that, that, that use of the word Lord, Lord twice, um, R.C. Sproul points out in the book Holiness of God, um, that when you repeat a word like that twice, it, it resembles um, uh, a closeness with the person. And so the people are saying, you know, Christ is saying, why do you consider me so close to you? Why do you consider me such a, a valuable person that you'd even call me Lord, Lord, and yet you're not doing what I say? And so th that's really where um, the, the, the book kind of um, starts. And then another really key passage is in Matthew 25 verses 14 through 29. And that's in the parable of the talents. And so um, there were some experiences recently that brought my attention to um, this in its parallel um, story. And so um, I was looking at it and it just kind of struck, struck me that, you know, the first two people in the parable, the, the master, the, the owner, really understands that they're going to be able to turn a profit. And so he gives them things to invest. And then this third character, he, he kind of doesn't expect as much from him because he doesn't give him as much, but he still invests and he expects him to do something. And instead of respecting and fearing 
the master, the investor, this wicked servant, we're told, he doesn't do anything at all. And so what we learn through this passage is a hard truth that if we're given things by the Lord, if he entrusts us with things, we have the obligation. And it's not, it's not simply a choice. It's, it's more of a requirement. If you read the parable with blinders, you know, your eyes wide open, it's more of a requirement for us as a result of faith, not, not, not replacing grace, right? It's by grace alone that we're saved. But as a result of this faith, this fundamentally revolutionary faith in Christ, that we are as a result going to live out and be different from the world. Because if we don't, if we don't show it, then what we're, we're basically saying is that um, we, we have our own opinions and our own ways to live life, and we're not going to actually follow Christ, which is a very dangerous path to head down. One of the words <clears throat> that I've really thought about a lot in relation to the gospel and, and with your book as well, Kelton, um, is the word surrender. And I think it's a word that we don't talk about enough. Um, a number of years ago, it was probably 10 years ago, I got in my car and turned on the car. It was on a Christian <clears throat> radio station. And I think it was Louis Palau they were talking to, but I caught the caught it in the middle, so I couldn't really tell you for sure. <clears throat> but they said, how, what word would you use to describe the American church? And they said, committed. And the, and the uh, person doing the interview said, well, that's pretty good, isn't it? He goes, well, you would think it is. But that buzzword replaced another word, and that word used to be surrendered. And he said, in America today, if you're committed to something, if you don't like your marriage, you get out. If you don't like your job, you quit. Um, it, you know, we're teaching kids, if you don't like that sports team, you quit. Like, we, we just, uh, our commitments aren't what they were. You know, you make a New Year's resolution and it lasts a couple of weeks. And so he said, but surrender, when, uh, for example, the South surrendered, uh, when Lee surrendered to Grant at Appomattox, he basically said, do to me as you will. I, I'm, you know, I quit fighting. And I think what a great illustration for us with God. And I think it's a, some ways what your book is about, but that I surrender. I'm not going to fight anymore. I'm going to do it your way, God, and not yeah. uh, try to do it. My way. Yeah. Yeah, it's a sort of um, I would I would even say like an active surrender. It's um, it's surrendering to the spirit and then moving with the spirit and that power. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. As I've been digesting your book, one of the things I I see is your heart that so many people they think they know the gospel, they think they've received the gospel, but their lives haven't changed, and that's that's deeply concerning. And it seems like that's one of the reasons you wrote this book. Am I, am I right on that? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, as I reflected on it, it just speaks to the brilliance of Jesus and how he talks through parables and the way that he interacted with people, that he would challenge people so strongly. And, um, you know, he, he's, he's accessible to everybody. So everybody who seeks him, they can learn from him. They can grow through him, but you never exhaust the depth of Jesus, right? There's always more to learn from him. When you think about the gospel, 
do you have any like favorite quotes from different authors about how they define the gospel? Yeah, well, you know, I found this one about living it out by Max Lucado, and this is a recent find of mine, and I, I really love it. And he says, for years I thought my assignment or the church's assignment was to articulate the gospel and nothing more. Now I believe that if we don't support the verbal expression of the gospel with physical demonstrations of compassion, we're not imitating Jesus. And I just think that is just so much along the lines of what you know is in the book about compassion and forgiveness of Jesus, you know, demonstrating that to people. Jesus did not take the spiritual aspect of the person and separate it from the physical and the emotional. He dealt with the entire person. And when you look at Jesus, you can't help but see the compassion and love of Jesus flowing out to everybody he met. He was even gracious to the Pharisees on many occasions, although of course we know he was very tough on them because he needed to be tough on them. Um, but I think Max Lucado has a very insightful thought here that, you know, if we're not showing the love of Christ in tangible ways that people can see and feel, then we really aren't loving the way that Jesus has um, instructed us to love. That is so true. Uh, another way to think about it uh, that has impacted me is we want to share the good news with people. We want to share the good news of the gospel. So that means that people need to see us as good news. Um, right. When we walk into a room, they need to see us as good news. Well, the only way for them to see us as good news is if the good news has changed our lives. And so if we're not changed by the good news of the gospel, if our lives aren't changed, and then people won't see Christ in us. They won't see us as good news, and we're not going to be as effective to share the good news. So um, it's... Uh, it, it it's along those same the, those same lines. I think one of the issues, you guys, though, is is how we present the gospel. That if we present the gospel as just a, a series of uh, intellectual or theological points that people have to agree with, mm -hmm. all we're asking for them is intellectual assent. If they agree to this, well, then you're in. You're, you're in, you're part of it. And and um, we want to count the number of people that proclaim Christ and present it instead of in, instead of really sharing um, the, the idea that it's really God is calling for our lives. You know, he's asking for all of us. And um, he's not asking mm -hmm. us just to give uh, an intellectual assent and say, yes, I agree with what those points are. He's asking us to to live out the gospel with him, to allow him to live through us. And um, we, like we said earlier, we surrender and, and, um, and the issue of lordship. But so many times I think the issue is the way we present the message and we're presenting it like, okay, if you agree with these four points, well, you're in. And um, right. Right. I, I think sometimes the issues, uh, not the person hearing it as much as those presenting it. Yeah. And you know, it's funny because C.S. Lewis says there's three types of people, right? There's the people who don't care about the, the, the law and the um, expectations of God, basically. And then there's another group of people who are very concerned about what God wants and are busy, like keeping score. 
And then there's a third group of people that we should aspire to be, which have died to self and they no longer keep track of the score and they live it all for Christ. And that is the group that you really want to be in because like you're saying, Randy, it's the whole person. And also like you're saying, Greg, it's the fulfilling like fullness of God in your life. And so you want to be that person who paradoxically dies to self and finds life in Christ. As you think about the the book as a whole, Kelton, what, what are some of your favorite chapters or stories in the book that you tell? Yeah. So uh, we already kind of touched on it. Uh, Chapter seven, loving through compassion and forgiveness. I mean, I, I took a kind of a bold step in saying the heart of Jesus is is not love necessarily. I, I know it's love, but I said compassion for that chapter, which I think is kind of a bold step because most people would say love. But I think, you know, as you look at the uh, passages where it says Jesus had compassion, and then you look at why he had compassion, it really speaks to, again, the idea that he's not just ministering to the spiritual person, but to the whole person, and that his love is an outflow of that in how he's loving and, and responding and interacting with people. And there's a whole lot for us to learn, especially I think in the American church about what that means in our neighborhoods um, and not just missions abroad. Um, chapter eight, the hope to come um, really kind of, again, drives into that about how to reach your neighbors and how to look at your neighborhood as um, really people who who should be your friends, people who you should be close to, so close to, in fact, that they see the love of Christ and that you know what affects them. You know what matters to them because you have a relationship with them. And through that relationship, you're able to share the gospel in many different ways. Um, and then chapter 10, eternal consequences is really where, you know, I just bring it all home. And I, I challenge the reader to say, listen, if, uh, if you don't think following the Lord is desirable, as uh, I'll, I'll find the passage, but if you don't think that following the Lord is desirable, then um, you need to make a choice. And so that's from Joshua uh, 24, 15. It says, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yours, yourselves this day whom you will serve. And of course, there's a, there's a kind of an epic scene after that. Um, but uh, chapter 10 really brings it all home. And I have a, I have a story of Elijah. I won't give it all away, uh, but a, a powerful message, I think, there at the end of the book, really challenging the reader to put, put some stuff into action, to take the next step of obedience and following Christ and to get serious. I mean, I lived for roughly 18, 19 years of my life thinking that I was a believer and I was not. And so I'm really hoping that this book will impact people who are in the same situation uh, and help shake them and understand that they need Christ in a, in a fundamentally different way than a lot of people, you know, are thinking about the gospel today in America. Yeah. So let's talk about how can you help somebody discern whether they've just believed a clickbait gospel or not? What, what would be some of the, yeah. the indicators you would, you would say, Hey, you know, you might, you might not know the gospel <laughs> if this is true of you. What are some of those? Yeah. Well, I mean, there are some kind of soft approaches that you could use, I think. So if you notice a person doesn't have peace, joy, love, the fruit of the spirit, you could say, hey, I noticed that you're really struggling with this or this has been on your heart lately or that, you know, you seem to be kind of down. 
and talk about that, that could be a kind of a soft approach. And then I think the real, you know, if you read the book and, and you think about it, the real obvious one is, um, are you living out of obedience, one, but then why are you living out of obedience? Do you have an outward sign of godliness and you deny its power, which is very dangerous? Or are you living um, a grace-filled, love-filled life of obedience to Christ because you love him and because you're just, you're just so grateful for what he's done for you? And, um, and so there are different approaches and there, I, I think it's hard because we've gotten so good in America. I'm going to make kind of a bold statement here. We've gotten really good in America at playing the part of religion in our churches. Okay. Like in revelation chapter three in Sardis, they have the appearance of godliness. Okay. They have, they have, um, the reputation and I, I I'd say the reputation among churches of being godly people. And yet they are dead. They are not spiritually alive. There's only a few left. Christ has very strong words for them. And um, I feel like a lot of times in American churches, we, we kind of fall into the same category. So it, it's, it's difficult. And I think you really have to have a relationship with people to know, you know, you have to, it has to be more than uh, a, just kind of a, a quick interaction with a person. You have to get to know them and uh, I, I will say, I think some people just have kind of a discerning spirit by the Holy Spirit to be able to kind of say, you know, this seems a little odd. You, you like, I, I just kind of feel like something strange here. Uh, but for most people, I think uh, it's going to take a real deep relationship um, and, and not really deep necessarily, but a, a deep relationship to know whether or not this person is, um, is being honest with um, with themselves about the gospel and what the gospel requires and and that surrender like randy said um don't want to lose sight of that word that's a very powerful word yeah uh i think one of the things that in america uh there's almost like uh, there's churchianity you know yeah. there's christianity and then there's churchianity and if you fall into churchianity, you know, you fall into all these traps of like, well, I'm a Christian because I go to church or, um, you know, I'm a Christian because I, you know, do this. And you, you outwardly, you're doing all this like Christian behavior. But if there's no right, like right. inward change, then you're you have drifted off into uh, a dangerous place. So I love, you know, you're, you're very, um, the book is very challenging. You, you, you really, um, challenge people. Um, there's a part where you talk about first John two, five, where it talks about perfect love. You want to, you want to go into that a little bit? Yeah. So perfect love, um, better. I think it's better translated completed love. And I'll, I'll thank John Piper for that insight. Um, so abiding in God abiding in his love. That's one aspect of it. But another aspect of it is living it out. And so if you really want to have um, a peace-filled, joy-filled life, um, the more the more and more I read the gospel and, and the Bible and, and think about this, um, living out the love of God towards others is so critical to experiencing the power of God in your life. 
And um, you are not going to find peace and satisfaction in Christ if you're not willing to love others. And even more than just loving your friends, because even the unrepentant unbelievers love their friends, loving those who hate you. Like that is a radical level of love. And we've we so often miss sight of that in America. Um, and it's not just here in America, but we definitely have a hard time with it in the land of justice for all. Right. Um, so. Um, but yeah, that's first, John, I just love that book. It's, it's such a great book, it really just lays out what is love? How can you know if you're living a godly love centered life? Um, it's a really powerful book. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of churches don't dive into it as often as they should. That's right. Randy, as you read, uh, as you read through the book, were there, what, what stood out to you? Were there any particular stories or, or, uh, themes? Well, um, I, I guess that what I mentioned earlier was the first thing that stuck out to me was just this idea that, that, um, oftentimes we think, well, people have misunderstood the gospel, but I think, I guess I started thinking about it from the angle of how are we presenting the gospel? Are we presenting the gospel in a way <laughs> that uh, says, hey, if you just agree to these four things, that's great. You're in and that's it. And I think so. I do think there are times that we as followers of Jesus, you know, we just want people to to say the right things. If you repeat this prayer after me, you're in. Yeah. And um we're not really challenging them on what it means to know Jesus. So I, I think to me, in a summary, that would probably be the, the first thing that really kind of caught my um Oh, yeah, my let, attention. Me, let me kind of least jump off think. that. Mm -hmm. Let me add to that too. So like, if you look up like the Romans road or the gospel, according to Romans, and a lot of times you will just kind of end at salvation and there will be no mention of life after that. And so in the end of my book, where I have kind of the, the outline of the gospel, I include mm -hmm. Romans two, five through eight at the end of that. And it says, um, Basically, you know, if you keep living in unrighteousness, you're storing up wrath against yourself. But if you seek to do good and, and love and, and follow Christ, then, um, you know, there will be rewards for that and he will, and he will um, treat you uh, as such. So, um, you know, I think it's interesting, even, even from like a very, you know, traditional sense, we've we've isolated the gospel message down to simply salvation and then nothing after that. Um, and, and that's a, yeah. a great fault, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I was just reading in, uh, in my devotional, you know, James, where he says faith without works is, is dead. It's like yeah. a dead faith. You know, if you really have saving yeah. faith, you will produce good works. Those works aren't, they're not to get you to heaven. It's because it's because you, you have Christ because you've received yeah. Amen. the gift, then, then you want to do good works. Um, right. Yeah. Not to, not, not to prove anything, but just out of gratitude mm -hmm. for what Christ has done. And I love that part of the, the whole idea of the gospel addict podcast is that the gospel is not just to bring you to Christ, but it's a gospel that helps us grow in Christ that we never move beyond it. We never move, uh, beyond it we spend our whole lives exploring the depths of it and it's an amazing thing that 
the good news of Jesus is simple enough that a child can understand it. And yet we'll spend our whole lives exploring the depths of it. It's so, it's so rich and deep. It's deeper than the oceans. And we'll, we'll never, you know, explore the, the depths of it because, um, you know, we talk a lot about it on our podcast that, um, and, and you mentioned this in the book too, that one of the problems is people think, people think they're pretty good. Um, we've yeah. lost, <laughs> we've lost sight of the depth of our own sinfulness. Uh, yes. we, we, we become blind to, um, how deep our sinfulness can go. It's easy to see sinfulness in other people, but when it comes to us, I'm a pretty good person. But, um, yeah. when you, when you really understand the gospel, you understand that you have a, your awareness of your sinfulness continues to increase. And at the same yeah. time, your awareness of God's holiness increase, mm-hmm. increases. And you realize that the only thing that can span those that gap is the cross of Christ. And uh, so the gospel not only brings us to Christ, it's what grows us in Christ. And, you know, um, I love uh, in Corinthians, Paul says, uh, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us believers who are being saved, it's the power of God. And he talks about the, the being Amen. saved, that Christ <clears throat> saved us. Yes, we're saved, eternally secure in that salvation. But he's continually saving us through the through the power of the gospel. It's changing us from the inside out and making us the kind of people you talked about, people that want to, you know, move towards others in compassion and love and um, right. Yeah. That transformation, there's it's there's so many people in the church today that just there's no transformation. Yeah. Well, and it's dangerous because, you know, naturally, I think we all think of apostasy as a very bold move against Christ. But there are a lot of people who have essentially left the faith and still attend church. And um, and they they seem to want to believe the message that's preached to the whole church, which we assume is the true followers of Christ, that they're good, right? And so, but Christ is still trying to get at their hearts. He's still trying to find ways to um, to make them understand that they are still broken people who need him, who need forgiveness. And in their selfishness, they've rejected him in so many ways. And so I think it's really... Um, I think it's really um, a concerning, you know, the, the idea of people do, in fact, leave the faith. And so we have to come to grips with this idea of how is it that I know that I'm a Christian, right? And one of the aspects of that, I'm convinced, is loving out um, other people and godly love and loving God. And that is, I think, one of the necessary requirements of being a Christian. If, if you have grace, if you have God's grace in your life, I think there are necessary requirements as a result of that. And one of them being repentance, which is like, you know, the cornerstone of it all. And then uh, loving as, as obedience. Mm, that's really good. Greg, er, Greg, earlier you had talked about um, what were some of the things that really stood out to me. One of the things in chapter eight is, uh, Kelton, you talk a lot about the incarnation and this idea of incarnational ministry. And I, I think I told you this, Kelton, but I think so often in ministry, we think of ministry as like a, a fortress. 
and we have our fortress and we lower the drawbridge and invite yeah. people to come and we want people mm-hmm. to come. And when they do, we're, we're great with them. But that's not what Jesus did. Jesus went, um, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Um, you know, in Colossians 1, it just talks about how, uh, you know, the, the incarnation. Um, and so is the image of the invisible God. So I think for us, incarnational ministry is when we go intentionally into the lives of people who don't know Jesus to develop relationships with them for the sake of the gospel. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that idea of, of incarnation is really key. Yeah. Yeah. And um, like, I, I think I shared this with you, Randy. I think a lot of people even, they'll go even farther than just having the drawbridge down. They forget to invite the people in or even have the the, the bridge down for people to come in, to stumble in. And so um, we just kind of want to keep it to ourselves, <laughs> um, which is really sad if you think about it. You have the greatest gift wouldn't you want to bless somebody else? Wouldn't you want to be receiving this gift? And yet so many of us are so selfish in that we don't take the steps towards showing this to other people. Like there is no greater cause to rally around in the world, which I believe Christians should be rallying around a lot of things, but there's no greater cause to rally around than eternal um, forgiveness and repentance and joy in Christ and um and avoiding eternal damnation um in hell and so you know we should be the front runners of trying to improve our communities our neighborhoods and it should start with reconciliation to the father through jesus christ through faith and then it should be it should be lived out just like max Lucado was saying with um showing compassion it should be in acts of generosity and i think that's what the church um, in many ways is called to lead people into because I make the statement in chapter eight, you know, if you're waiting for somebody to lead you into this, you might be waiting a while. But if you take the lead and you say, hey, I'm going to reach my neighborhood and I'm going to invite other believers along with me, guess what? You might have a following before you know it of many people who were just waiting for somebody to lead. And so, you know, in many ways, America is under a leadership crisis in many different aspects. But one of them, I believe, is in ministry to our, our neighborhoods. Um, we're really good at farming out mission work to other countries. Um, and I, I think it's wrongly termed third world countries, by the way. Um, but we're very good at like supporting missionaries overseas. And I have many family members who are missionaries. So I, I value and I, I love missionaries. But I think we're really missing the greatest ministry and um, powerful aspect of the church when we don't minister to our neighborhoods, our local communities. And I do some really simple math in the book. I say, okay, there's 8, 8 billion people roughly in the world, okay? And then supposedly 2 billion um, identify as Christian, which I, I think we can all agree is probably not true, right? But they identify as Christian. Well, if you take the number of evangelicals, people who claim to be evangelicals, and you kind of round it down to 600 billion, okay? Spread out throughout the globe. If these 600 million evangelicals just reached 13 people, unique individuals, 13 unique individuals for Christ, the whole world would know about the gospel and so and about God's love. And so what we we kind of focus a lot on strategic um, like uh, exponential growth, I think, in the U.S., whereas really we just need to focus on loving our neighbors well. 
Like that's all it's going to take is if every single person in the church had a fundamentally different kind of love for Christ that, that caused us to love our neighbors as ourselves and to love our enemies as Christ would love his enemies. Um, our neighborhoods, our communities, our state, and, and then, you know, the whole nation really would be different. And so that, I think that's the power of this book that I, I hope that I get a lot of people to read it and that it kind of spreads out is kind of challenging the church to take this local perspective on mission work and just see, you know, if we got everyone together on the same page about this and we started loving like Christ, you would have tens of thousands of people in your state doing the work of Christ and not just a few missions people, but tens of thousands. And that should make a huge difference in your community, as you would expect. I love the fact that you're talking about the potential that the yes. church has, the potential for the American yes. church in reaching the lost. And and that that's really what we need to what we need to be about. And I love the fact that you're not you're not like a full time Christian worker, and, no, uh, <laughs> and, and you're being you're being convicted yet. You're not yet. We we should. Oh say, yeah, right. <laughs> maybe, maybe one day you well, will be. But but you know the yeah. Apostle Paul was a tent maker. Right. You know you don't have to be in full time missions to do abundantly more in in missions work than anybody could dream. And so really that you know I'm I'm speaking a little bit of Ephesians three twenty there. But, you know, we, we often don't believe Christ when he says that, or, you know, Paul, speaking for God, that he can do abundantly more than anything we can ask, think, or imagine. Like, that is a radical promise. Like, have we really thought and considered about that, that God is so powerful and wants to move so radically through us, not in a crazy radical way, but he wants to move so powerfully through us that all he's asking is that we love and obey, pray, surrender, and then do something for him. And he will show up. And uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm very excited about that. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's great. You know, that, I think. Uh, well, I, I think it's great that you're, you know, um, you know, you could easily be just happy as a, a school teacher and uh, living, living the middle class life. But then the mm -hmm. Lord really uh, convicted you um, of of uh, you know this this need to really reach out to your neighbors, and I'd love to hear uh, you know what are some things you and you, you're doing practically on that level, yeah. um, right now. Yeah. Well, and it's funny, you know, I I think I learned through writing these books, you know, and I I think that's mentioned by I think the Apostle Paul a little bit that you teach yourself as you write. But, um, you know, I've been reaching out to my neighbors more than I ever have. And so my one neighbor um, over on the north side of me, uh, he says he he has a faith, but it doesn't show the fruits. And he, he grew up with um, a little bit of Baptist, a little bit of Presbyterian. He's Catholic currently. You know, he's, he's had experience with all kinds of different um, flavors of Christianity. And um, so I'm, I'm slowly, you know, talking to him and working through things. Then I have a neighbor across the street who's older and he, unfortunately, he's gone through some hard things. Um, he had COVID and they told him to get his things ready because he wasn't going to make it. And miraculously he came through and just praise God for that. 
but then his sister recently passed away. So um, the things about, you know, the end of life concerns of death and what happens after death. And as he puts it, um, can I talk to my spirit, which is his way of saying, do I have a spirit? Can I interact with the spiritual sense of me? And, um, and what does it mean? And so I've talked to him, I've given him the gospel message as, as I did my other neighbor. Um, this, this neighbor, this older gentleman is more receptive and um, I, I'm really eager to have another conversation with him about it. And then we have a family on the south side of us who is about our age, really. They have kids right around our, our kids' ages and uh, we hang out with them. I walk with them often to school, which is just down the street. And uh, I've talked to them about things and I'm trying to invite them to WANA, which is a wonderful ministry our church just started. And um, uh, I, I, I see a lot of potential in that relationship, but I'm, I'm really, I'm focused on reaching my whole block. So um, some of the resources that I have at the end of the book are to, to ch challenge people to think of different ways to reach out to their neighbors. And uh, I'm, I'm in the process of trying to come up with some ways that I can really um, start conversations with everybody on my block and for everybody to know, you know, we're the Andersons, we love you. Um, and then also that God loves you too. And that God has a plan for your life if you're willing to surrender to him. So that's excellent. That's excellent. I know, uh, my wife and I, we live on a cul-de-sac and when we first moved in here, uh, we started kind of an annual, um, kind of barbecue on the cul-de-sac kind of thing uh or picnic you know that's so awesome and just yeah. as a way to get to know one another and we did it for a couple of years and and i gotta be honest i've i we, we haven't done it and in, in uh in some time and so you you're uh convicting me that um because i think you're right i think we if if all of us who are christ followers if we just intentionally um got to know our neighbors built relationships with them friendships yeah like not even like with any strings attached um yep. and as we rub shoulders with them and look for um practice some spiritual curiosity with them you know some conversations could could uh come up that could be life-changing um yeah yeah that's that's really good. Randy, you wanted to say something earlier and I interrupted you. I apologize for that. Oh, no. Remember? <laughs> Don't nothing to apologize for. I do. Um there there is a um quote that I had shared with Kelton, but as Kelton described what we do and what we present, I think sometimes it's because we don't present Jesus for who he really is. We, we present this uh, watered-down version of Jesus. And I was thinking about a story in C.S. Lewis in the Chronicles of Narnia where um, a little girl, Jill, is uh, wanting to go to this river to get a drink. And this is what it says. Are you not thirsty, said the lion. I'm dying of thirst, said Jill. Then drink, said the lion. May I, could I? Would you mind going away while I do, said Jill? The lion answered, this is the only, um, uh, only by a look and a very low growl. And as Jill gazed at its motionless bulk, she realized she might as well have asked the entire mountain to move aside for her convenience. 
The de delicious rippling noise of the stream was driving her nearly frantic. Will you promise not to do anything to me if I do come, said Jill? I make no promise, said the lion. Jill was so thirsty now that without noticing it, she had come a step closer. Do you eat girls, she said. I have swallowed up girls and boys, women and men, kings and emperors, cities and realms, said the lion. It didn't say this as if it were boasting, nor as if it were sorry, nor as if it were angry. It just said it. I dare not come and drink, said Jill. Then you will die of thirst, said the lion. Oh, dear, said Jill, coming another step nearer. I suppose I must go look for another stream then. There is no other stream, said the lion. Um, that's from the book, The Silver Chair. But I just love that idea that he's so vast. You know, we ask the God of the universe to move and get out of the way for us to, you know, will you make me a promise that you won't ask, you know, don't ever ask me to do something. He's like, I make no promises. I'm, I'm in charge. I'm, this is, you know, we get in line under him and um, not asking him to get in line under us. So I just love that. But um, I think I'm trying to remember what chapter that was. And maybe when your chapter, you talked about the prodigal son as well. And mm, I think yeah. in that chapter, we see God's heart for the loss. One of the things that hits me on that is that that when you really want to make an emphasis, you repeat something. Um, and so Jesus repeated three times stories of the loss, the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost son, showing God's incredible heart for the lost. Um, so, but anyways, I just... Maybe one of the issues on Jesus for uh, not for who he really is. Yeah. Well, as we bring our discussion to a close, um, I mentioned it earlier, but let's mention it again. Where can people find your book? What's the, how, how, where's it available? Yeah. So it's in your favorite formats. It's in Kindle on Amazon. It's in paperback on Amazon. And it's also an audio book. Uh, which is only available, the audiobook is only available at www.clickbaitgospel.com. So the title of the book, clickbaitgospel.com. Uh, um, and you can listen to the first five minutes of the book on Clickbait Gospel, so you can get an idea of whether or not you'd be interested in the audiobook. Um, I think it's very high quality, but um, you know you can get a sense for what you think. Um, but yeah. It and is then um, towards the end of the book, um, I do mention a title that I'm working on currently, uh, which is called Holy Different. Um, and it dives into uh, the aspects of holiness and love. Wow. So you're already working on your second book. And yeah, yeah, it's about 50% done. Your, your first one hasn't even gone public yet, and you're working mm -hmm. on your second one. Man. <laughs> it is public today. It is, it is live today. It yeah. is live today. So uh, clickbaitgospel.com or they can go to Amazon and, and search for it and find it. Um, yep. Well, Kelton, is there any anything else you want to say as we bring this to a close? I, I love the very first, um, one of the first things in the book you talk about, it says, I believe in a breathtaking gospel. I believe in yes. a life-altering impact. It That it's a life-altering impact is so severe that it gives us more than a purpose. It gives us a new life. And I, I love the, I, I love the idea that um, 
you know, the gospel, it's, it's, it's actually, it's not just good news. It's the best news ever. And, and yes. it, and it Amen. really, if you really, really understand the gospel of Jesus, it will change your life. And, and yep. it's, and it's irresistible. How could you not, you know, um, it, it's, it blows my mind that people reject it. Um, when, if you, if you, uh, if you really understand it, but is there any, any final thoughts you want to share? Well, um, first of all, I would just say thank you for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. Um, so, you know, I would just remind the listeners of second Peter one ten. it says, therefore brothers be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. And, um, just to remember that Christ promises a, a new life after, you know, a saving faith, a calling on Christ, if you truly call on him. And if you're not living that out, you have to question whether or not you understand and you've truly repented. And so um, just challenging people to really take Jesus at his word, at what he said, and to live out a different kind of life for the gospel, for God's sake. Um, because of the love and the grace that you've been shown. And if you're not finding peace and you're not finding joy and satisfaction in Christ, then that probably means that you have a gospel issue, that you have not understood the gospel um, as it should be. And um, I do want to say a word of encouragement to those who are stuck in ongoing sin and struggling with that. Um, that struggle is a good struggle and don't give up. Um, so what, I, what I'm not trying to say here is that you will have a perf perfect life after calling on Christ in in a in the the right manner, right? Um, what I am saying is that when you surrender, you will be so um, so in love with Christ in a way that you will want to obey Him, and that um, those sins they they will have in in time. God will will find a way to lessen their hold on your life, and you will find victory. Um, but in the meantime. Let's do everything that we can to be loving God and loving others the way that we're supposed to and, yes. and trust him when he says that Amen. he's going to do abundantly more than we can ask, dream, or imagine. Like that is an incredible promise and that he's working all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. You know, um, that's another wonderful promise that we have to hold on to. Amen. Yeah, I love um, that idea of surrender. Um, and then the other word that, you know, when you're living, when you're living this life, I think the other word is struggle. Um, cause I think it is a struggle cause we're wrestling with, um, you know, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Um, it, it's, it's a battle. So those, those are two powerful words. Randy, any closing thoughts? Yeah. I would encourage you guys to pick up the book if you haven't. Thanks for listening to this episode of the gospel addict podcast. Feel free to contact us via email at gospeladdictpodcast at gmail.com. Stay tuned for our next episode. And remember, on your worst days, you're never beyond the reach of God's grace. And on your best days, you're never beyond the need of God's grace. See you next time.